happening? I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God once again for today. Uh, we thank God for time that continues to move. Um, that doesn't stand still. Amen. <laughs> um, we continue with our series of a church after God's own heart. And if, if you remember last week, we looked at the, the fact that a church after God's own heart is a praying church. A church after God's own heart is a praying church. And we continue again with that point, that a church after God's own heart is a praying church. We were looking at Matthew chapter 6. We looked at verses 5 to verse 8. Today we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13, continuing with that very same topic. A church after God's own heart is a praying church. Matthew chapter uh, 6, I'll read from verse 9 to verse 13. This is one of those famous prayers that we've been praying um, um, in school. We've been praying since uh, we've been young. We, we've learned to memorize this prayer, and mostly I know we've memorized it in, in the King James language, right? In the King James language, our Father who art in heaven kind of language, but I'm reading today from the ESV uh, from verse 9 to verse 13. Follow me as we read the word of God. This is God's word. Let us hear him once again today. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also forgive other, uh, as we also forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that is the word of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear heavenly Father, our great God and Savior, indeed, your name is above every name. There is none like you. You are the most glorious one of heaven. You are the one who speaks to us through his word. And even this morning, oh God, we pray that you open our hearts to hear from you. Open our hearts to learn um, and see great and wonderful things in your word. Even as the psalmist says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. As we look at your word today, may our hearts bubble with joy. May our hearts draw near to you. May our hearts be filled with that joy that is found in knowing you and honoring you and walking in your ways. We pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. It, it, it must be one of the languages that we speak most fluently. It, it must be our native language as, as Christians, our native tongue. And when we look at the, the testimony of Scripture concerning the New Testament, uh, uh, concerning prayer in the New Testament, we see how prayer was vital, how, how prayer was important. Prayer played a major role in the church, in the life of the church. When you look at the, the, the start or the inauguration of the, of the church, it was preceded by prayer. 
the, the disciples following the command of Jesus to wait for the promise of the Father. That is the Holy Spirit. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. He says they should wait. They did not just only wait, but they prayerfully waited upon the Lord. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, we read these words. It says, all these, talking about the disciples, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And again, as we continue on in the book of Acts, just looking at uh, uh, the, uh, the role player a prayer played in the church we see in Acts chapter 4 after the incident of Peter and John uh, healing the, 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 the crippled men uh, um, they, they, they were taken and they stood trial before the chief priest and, and the elders because they were preaching Christ as well and, and, and they, they, after they were released they went back and reported the matter to their friends they reported the matter to the church and we are told in verse 14 of Acts chapter 4 that this is what this is how they responded. They responded by lifting up, by lifting their voices together to God, praying for boldness to continue to preach the gospel. And again, in Acts chapter 12, after Herod. Uh, King Herod executed James. He proceeded to arrest Peter so that he could also do the same to him the next day. He could also execute him. Uh, execute him. But we are told in verse 2 that so Peter was kept in prison. Listen to this. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. If we search the book of Acts, and also search the epistles, search the scriptures uh, concerning the subject of prayer, we would spend the whole day just discussing that subject. It is clear that prayer played a major role, a big role in the life of the church. It, it was a language that they spoke fluently. They spoke it very well. Now, like any other language, prayer has to be learned. When the disciples observed the life of our Lord and how his life was saturated by prayer, how his life was marked by prayer, uh, how his life was characterized by intimacy with the Father, they desired to learn from him. They asked him, saying, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. They, they, didn't, they didn't ask for any, any other thing. They, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach or Lord, teach us to prophesy or Lord, teach us to, to work miracles, to perform miracles. But their request was simple and clear. Lord, teach us to pray. They wanted to speak this language very well. They, they wanted to become like the Lord. They, they wanted to learn from him. And, and, and who better to teach us to pray than the Lord himself? Even this morning, we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus as he teaches on the subject of prayer. As this passage is called um, by a lot of theologians, the Lord's Prayer. But I don't think that's, that is an accurate way of referring to it. 
it should actually be referred to as the disciples prayer the lord teaching the disciples how to pray he starts by saying pray then like this in verse 9 in, in other words he's saying this is the proper manner this is the proper way to approach god it, it, it should be noted again as we look at this part uh, uh, that Jesus is not saying that whenever we pray, we should recite these very words. He's not saying recite them word for word as if they are a poem, as if they are a necessary rhyme. That interpretation would be, would be logically uh, untenable or it does not uphold the, 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 the logic of what Jesus was commanding against in verse 7 to not heap up empty praise, phrases, not, not to heap up empty phrases, keep repeating the same thing. Rather, what Jesus is giving here is what should characterize prayer. In other words, he is giving a summary of prayer. He is giving a pattern of prayer. He's not giving a prayer that we should recite Sunday after Sunday. Every day when we, 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 we fall to our knees before God, we, we, we recite these words. No, he's giving us more of a pattern that we are to follow in prayer. A, a guide in, in, in praying and approaching the Lord. When we merely use it as something to recite and, and repeat over and over again, we end up missing the beauty of this section. We end up missing the beauty of this passage that our Lord gives to us. And I want us to observe it for a moment. Just think about it for a moment. When you look at it, you, you, you find that it naturally breaks into two parts. The, the first part focuses on God, and the second part focuses on human need. Notice the language of verse 9 to verse 10. It is God-centered. It is, it is focused on God. You, you find words like our Father. You find words like your name, your kingdom in verse, in verse 10, your will. It is focused on, on God. It is a language that is God-centered. It, it is eyes that are looking to God. Notice again the, the change of language in verses 11 and verses 13. Verses 11 to verse 13. You find words like give us, forgive us, lead us not, deliver us from. These words speak of need. They speak of the need that we have before God. Another way of saying it is that there's a vertical element to prayer. And there's also a horizontal element. So the vertical element is looking at God and his glory. And also the, 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 the horizontal element is looking at human need, our needs before God. So I want us to look at this, this passage here. Jesus presents to us two lessons about prayer. Two lessons about prayer. One, that prayer is God-focused. And two, that prayer addresses human need. Prayer is God-focused and prayer addresses human need. Let us look at um, the first one. Um, the first lesson that Jesus teaches us about prayer is that prayer is God-focused. Prayer is God-focused. 
Look at verse 9 and verse 10. He says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says prayer must be, must be entirely concerned with God. In focusing on God, we must start first with our relationship with him. We, we must recognize our relationship with God. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. It is very important to note here that as Christians, we address God as our Father. Uh, this speaks of a relationship that we have with God. This speaks of our relationship with God. So in a general sense, the Bible speaks of God as the Father from whom all things, um, from whom are all things and all things exist. But again, in a particular sense, we are by new birth brought into a special relationship with, with him as our father, the source of our life. Paul wrote in, 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 in Romans chapter 8 verse, verse 15, this is what he says. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba. Father. Addressing God as Father speaks of our understanding of who God is. It shows that we understand how we relate to God. It shows we understand what God has done to us. It, 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 it speaks of our, our new identity in Christ. I love what John says in his gospel account in John chapter 1 verse 12 about those who received jesus christ he says to all who who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god he he, he gave the right to become children of god those who received him who believed in his name this is something that is important when we approach god in prayer realizing our relationship with him J.I. Parker considers one's understanding of, of God's fatherhood and, 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 and one's understanding of adoption as a son or a daughter as being the most essential thing in, in, in your spiritual life. And this is what he writes. Let me, let me quote what he writes here. He says, if you, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and, and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and, 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 and better than the old, everything that is distinctive, distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name of God. We approach God as a faithful father who, who cares more than our earthly fathers can ever care. And this is the most healing idea. This is the most healing truth that the Bible presents to us. Because some have 
have bad experiences or, or negative memories of, of their fathers or, or they grew up without a, a father or even if he was there, he did not play his fatherly role. So whenever we, 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 we think about those things, we, we, we oftentimes think about bad memories and we, we, we think about negative memories concerning our earthly fathers. And so we develop feelings of distrust and, and resentment. I've seen a lot of times when, when you're sitting in a group and, 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 and Luther Vandross starts to sing about dance with my father, you start to see emotions that, that you never saw before on people's faces as they start to think about their fathers. You start to see how broken people are in, relation to, in, in terms of relating to their fathers. How they've grown cold and, 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 and resentful because of that term. But when we come to God and call him Father, we, we can be sure, we, we, we know that he is a father who cares and he, he knows all our needs. He's a father who is there. He's a father who is present, who empathizes with us and we can trust him freely and conditionally. He's a good father. A good, good father. We, we can look to him and trust the fact that he won't wake up one morning and not be there anymore. He will always be there. And we can approach him boldly, saying, Our Father in heaven. Amen. Secondly, in focusing on God in prayer, we must look at his honor. We, we look at his honor. We look at first our relationship with him, then we look at his honor. He says, you should pray, our Father in heaven. Then he, the next words are, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The word um, to hallow is an old English term that we hardly use anymore. Um, I don't think... Uh, even when we sang, the, we, we, we sang or recited this, uh, uh, this part of scripture at school or in our homes, that we even understood what hallow meant. We just went with it, you know. It's an old English term that means to make holy. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are recognizing and speaking of the holiness of God. We are speaking of God as distinct. We are speaking of God as separate. We are speaking of God as, as, as the one who is high and lifted up, as the one who is holy above all. We, 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 we are seeking his honor. The Lord, let your name be regarded as holy by all. I love what John MacArthur says. He says this concerning this passage. He says the Father's name is most hallowed when we behave in conformity to his will. Did you hear that? It is, it is, it is shown most holy when we do what? When we behave in, in our behavior, in our conduct, in conformity to his will. He continues saying, for Christians to live in disobedience to God is to take his name in vain. 
proclaiming as Lord someone we do not follow as Lord. When we drink, when we eat, drink, or do everything else to the glory of God, that is hallowing his name. Finally, to hallow God's name is to attract others to him by our commitment. To let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In Psalm 34, verse 3, it sums it up up the teaching in this this phrase. It says, with a lovely exhortation, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We look at the holiness of God, the honor of God, and we seek that God will be honored in our conduct. God will be honored in such a way that people will see our commitment to him, that people will be attracted to that as well and glorify God who is in heaven. And thirdly, in focusing on God in prayer, we must look at his work and, and his will. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we look at his work and his will. And to pray, saying to God, your kingdom come, is to pray for the fulfillment of God's program, for Christ to come and, and reign as king of kings and, and lord of lords. This is something that, that we must be preoccupied with something that must fill our minds, something that must be our desire to see the kingdom of God on earth. And furthermore, when we pray your kingdom come, we are at the same time saying, my kingdom go. What does that mean? It means that we are concerned with God's agenda more than our own. We want God's agenda to be the one in the forefront. We, we want God to be the one in the leading front. We're saying, your kingdom come, my kingdom go. Your, your kingdom be exalted, my kingdom be debased. Charles Price explains that basic to effective Praying is the recognition of, of, of the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Christ and the consequent jettisoning of my own agenda to the extent to which it differs from him. In, in, in other words, what he's saying is that when I recognize the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Christ, that results in jettisoning, in other words, in, 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 in forsaking or, or pushing away my agendas pushing away the the desire to to uphold my kingdom. Whatever we pray, it must do with the expansion of God's kingdom. And and let me say this, if if I'm not digressing from, from this topic, when we pray for God's kingdom, we must make sure that we are ready. If, 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 if we are saying God's kingdom come, it's not going to come unless we go and make disciples. The world is not going to know God unless we are actively making God known. Right? God chose to make himself known 
through the act of evangelism, through the act of making disciples. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are effectively saying, Lord, use us to go out there. Right? And, 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 and when we desire God's kingdom, this, this logically follows that we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is, very, this is a very important matter to note when we think about it. Because the way our prayers are shaped most of the times, the, the tone of our prayers, it sounds as if we are commanding God to bow down to our will. It sounds as if God is some cosmic magical servant. As, as, as we issue command, then he must respond with, your wish is my command. But God is not a genie in a bottle that we rub with some prayer, some little prayer. Or or God is not some big ancestor in the sky that we bribe with our tears. We we, we don't approach God like that. Last week I said that we we don't approach God like he's some vending machine, right? You, You click with prayer and then whatever you desire comes out. God is not a vending machine. We, we must recognize him as sovereign, as supreme, as majestic. We must recognize him for who he is, and we must pray that his will be done. And honestly, sometimes praying for God's will is hard, right? Sometimes praying for God's will is hard. Because God's will might be in contradiction with your desires. We must pray that God reign in our life as King of kings and Lord of lords, especially when it is hard. We should seek his will above all. It should be our desire. Just as our Lord himself, he made the Father's desire, his, the Father's will, his greatest desire, even in the midst of pain. He, he wanted relief at that moment from, from his pain, but the, 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 the Father's will was higher and above and greater than momentary relief. So let this cup pass from me. That, that, that is a desire for relief. That is a desire to pass through pain and, and, and that pain to pass from him. He, he says, let this cup pass from me. But he did not end there. He continued to say, but, but not as I will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Your will is higher, your will is greater, and your will is better. Sometimes we pray for healing, right? But healing does not come. It does not mean God has failed. It means God has a greater purpose. God is good. Always. Amen? And this should be our prayer. This should be how we approach him. We must approach him as one. We know that he's sovereign, he's good, he's wise. 
that in his sovereignty he he does all that 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 that, that 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 is in logical sequence with his wisdom in his wisdom all his acts are out of love so prayer should first be god focused it should be focused on god but not only that the second lesson that jesus presents to us is that prayer addresses human need Prayer addresses human need. Look at verses 11 to verse 13. He says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice in the words that are being used here, it is clear that it speaks of one who comes empty-handed before God. Right? There is no negotiating table here, but a beggar who comes to the provider. There's no, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, God. There's no scratching of backs here. We, we come before God empty-handed. The words speak of desperateness. And, and, and notice also that although it is addressing human need, it is not removed entirely from God. Because as you look at it, it is God, the, 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 the one who is praying, recognizes that it is God who gives daily bread. It is God who forgives sin. It is God who leads not into temptation. And it is God who, what, who delivers from evil. It is God who, who acts all these things. It is, it is God. Even though we are looking at human need, we are still focusing on God, in other words. And notice again that this need is, twofold, is threefold. It's threefold. As you look at it, there's, there's a physical need, there's a spiritual need, and there's a moral need. Right? Do we see it? I hope we see it all, all of us. There's a physical need, a spiritual need, and a moral need. Let us look at it in, in that way. Let us look at the physical need. Verse 11, he says, give us our daily bread. <clears throat> God wants us to pray for our physical need. In fact, this prayer is the first thing that God calls us to ask for when we pray for ourselves. He, he says, we must ask for our physical need. Give us this day our daily bread. And lest this be un misunderstood, let me explain this. It, it is not saying that we should pray for wealth or we should pray for prosperity. God is not saying we should come with a shopping list. Lord, I, I, I want that Gucci belt. I, I want that that Prada shoe. I, I want that bag that I saw. I, I, Lord, I want that house, that big, big, big mansion that I saw. Lord, I want that Bugatti, that, that Maserati. This is not what it's talking about. This is not what it's talking about. And, and Ken Hughes explained here, he says, the Lord's Prayer is calling us to pray for bread. That is the necessities of life. Whether large or small, those things that are necessary for life and health and, and well-being of ourselves and our families. 
Listen to this. I love this part. We are to pray for bread, not dessert. It doesn't say, give us this day our daily dessert. Give us this day our daily bread, our necessities. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, shows our daily dependence upon God. It shows that we are dependent upon the Lord. It, it, is, it is looking to the Lord as, as provider and trusting that he will meet us at the point of need. Trusting that he knows our needs more than we know our own needs. When we approach him as father, we approach him with hearts that are confident in him. That are confident in his goodness and wisdom and love. We are confident that God is our provider. That he, when we pray for bread, doesn't give us a rock. When we pray for fish, he doesn't give us a snake. He, he knows how to provide. And he provides according to his goodness. He provides according to his riches in glory. He provides out of his goodness and love. Amen. Not only do we pray for our, our physical need, but we also pray for our spiritual need. Look at what he says. He says, forgive us. We should pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. We, we come to God for constant need of cleansing. We, we, it's, it's a daily, it's, it's coming to him daily for, 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 for cleansing. That is what um, Martin Luther's uh, 95 Theses, the, the first thesis, he says, the life of a Christian must be one of constant repentance. Or the other word that he uses is that it must be one of perpetual repentance. The life of a Christian must be one of perpetual repentance. But when you look at this passage, the condition attached to this is very important as well. It says, forgive us our debts. Look at the condition. As we have forgiven our debtors. And this is amplified at the end of this prayer when Jesus says, if you forgive, in verse 14 and 15, if, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. Right? It is not cheap. To, to live in integrity before God, we must, we must also live in integrity. We must live in, with the same integrity amongst people. Those who offend us may, may not deserve our forgiveness uh, in, in, in our estimation, but neither do we deserve God's forgiveness. Who here can raise their hand and say, I, I, I among all, deserved it, deserved God to forgive me? Forgiveness is not dependent on the offender. But it is dependent on what? On the offended party, right? On the one who's offended. It is God who forgives us. It is we who forgive others. And the refusal to forgive others 
in inappropriate circumstances shuts out the forgiveness of God. The, the change of mind that characterizes our repentance towards God must be a change of mind that characterizes our attitude towards others as well, particularly those who need our forgiveness. We must look at, when we come to God, the spiritual aspect of our need. Lord, help us to forgive. Not only that, we not only pray for our physical need, we pray for our spiritual need. Not only that, again, we also pray for our moral need. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we are praying according to the pattern of Jesus that he gives in this passage here, we can be sure that we will be exposed to temptation and to attacks of the evil one. The implication of this statement is not that God may otherwise lead us into temptation. He, he is never the author of temptation. Uh, James wrote in, 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 in James chapter 1 verse 13, this is what he says. He says, when, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But for Jesus to in include this indicates that our deliverance from temptation is something that God himself is involved in. We, we need forgiveness of our past sins. We, we need forgiveness. We need, we need deliverance from, from the present evil uh, temptations with which we are constantly bombarded. Right? Temptations are bound to come. To be tempted is not sin, but to yield to temptation is the sin. So when we come to God and, and, and we approach him in prayer, this is the pattern that Jesus gives. He says when you approach God first, look at your relationship with him. Look at the honor of his name. Look at his work and, and his will. Look at your needs, your physical needs. Look at your spiritual needs, your moral needs. This is how we are to approach God. And most of the time I hear people saying, I don't know how to pray. The way to learn pray, to, to learn to pray is by praying. Your prayer improves when you pray. Amen. May God help us as we think about this as a church that we will be committed to this spiritual discipline of prayer personally, corporately that this will be a language that we speak most influently not most fluently. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord we thank you. Thank you that you are high and lifted up, you are God. You are, there's none like you, O oh God. You are the one who teaches us, who speaks to us, who, who trains us, who shapes us, who helps us to think in a way that honors you. When we hear your word today, O oh God, we pray that what we heard will, 
will continue to be in our hearts as we meditate upon it, as we approach you on our knees. We pray that you'll be the one who leads us. Sometimes we do not know what we pray for, but we thank you for your spirit, O oh God, who helps us with, with groanings that are too deep for words, who intercedes for us before you. We thank you for the spirit who helps us, who, who guides us, and who brings us to you. May we take advantage of such opportunities, O oh God, to draw near to you as a church, to draw near to you individually, that you may be glorified, you may be lifted up, you may be honored. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen.